He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and it has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now let's now move back to the book of Acts, to Acts chapter 4, and we read that passage about the believer's prayer, Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Now let me tell you a little bit about the context of that, uh, of that prayer. The situation is that um, Peter and, um, and John, that's, that's pretty short after Pentecost, had gone to the temple and there was a, there was a crippled man and he, um, he asked for some money and then Peter said, well, I don't have gold or silver, but what I have, I'll give you, stand up and, um, and walk again. And so that's what the man did and that caused so much enthusiasm amongst the crowds who were there that they were keen to hear what Peter and John had to say. So then the gospel was clearly explained to, to the people around in the temple there, and it was of a great concern to the Sanhedrin, so they, they arrested Peter and John, uh, and they, they, they said, you're never to talk in the name of Jesus again. And um, they, uh, they, of course, refused to do that, but um, shortly after that they came together again, in prayer, the congregation, and then um, the following prayer we hear, and that is in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations raise and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And he follows the text. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. John, welcome here. 
one request after you have finished your sermon could you announce that we sing Amazing Grace I have announced it already but anyway Friends it's lovely to be back it's been quite a time a time between sermons you might say but how privileged I am and how thankful we are from time to time not only to have your friendship but also to receive the ministry of Carl and uh, we do treasure that and we are so thankful and we have not only Carl but Carl's brother in our own congregation and that's a good thing. But for now let's turn our attention again to the Word of God. Would you have your Bibles open please? Fred has mentioned that our text is not the whole prayer here. He's given us the background and that's a lovely thing. We need to have that set in our minds. But our text are the last few verses, 29, 30 and 31. They get through the introduction and they actually ask God for a few things. Dear friends, in my previous congregation in Geelong, there was a lady and she said to me once of one of her daughters, she's got more front than Myers. Now if you've been to Melbourne and seen Myers, there's plenty of front in Myers. And she meant by that that her daughter was pretty, well let's, let's say she wasn't timid. She was up front, she was in your face and at times that can be not a good thing. It's not always nice to have those in your face obnoxious people. But in a church it is a good thing to have more front, more gospel front than Myers. And that's what was happening here. The church was going to be shut down. They had been told not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus. And surely a church which can't do that is like a bird without wings. It's like a car without petrol. It won't do what it's meant to do. They were being shut down and instead they prayed boldly. Now our situation is different at this point in time in Australia, quite different from theirs. But I put to you that this prayer is important. Our situation is such that the persecution we receive is not so overt as they had, but more covert. We live in politically correct, tolerant Australia. We are allowed to worship and hold our own views, but increasingly I believe we are being sidelined. If you say today that gay is not okay, that marriage is for one man and one woman for all of life, who listens? And think for a moment of the euthanasia debate. Not in yesterday's examiner, but a week ago there was an article by uh, Rosemary Bolger called Ethics Taken Out of the Euthanasia Debate. And the point she was making, let me just read a little from that, is that while there's going to be further discussion, not everything is up for discussion. They're, they, and they, she means Nick McKim and Lara Giddings, they want feedback on the model and not a general debate on the issue. 
And the reason is, in their minds, because of what they perceive public opinion to be, they believe the discussion has been had. The discussion, they would say, is over and now they want to discuss how they're going to do it. They're not against you or I holding what we believe are our views. They just don't want to hear it. You can do your little thing in your little church box, in your little Christian home, but don't take it into the workplace. Don't bring it into the halls of Parliament. We're not interested. And don't bring it into the streets because you can believe what you want to believe but don't slam it down my throat. I don't want to hear it. The branch may not be shut down but it is going to get sidelined and so is CRCL and so is your evangelist if in the good providence of God you get to the point and I trust you do to appoint one. That's the reality that you live in, that I live in. It wasn't quite the same as what the apostles and the early church faced in Acts chapter 4 but this prayer is instructive because it shows us what we can do by the grace of God and in the power of his Holy Spirit. Here was a church that was devoted to prayer. They prayed often, they prayed together, they would have prayed many prayers and how many of them do we have in print? Well we have this one. So there's something here for all of us to learn and the Lord wants to teach us this morning and I trust that he will every single one of us And what is it that the Lord will teach us? Well today, we're not going to go through the first part of the prayer, the introduction and how they structured, they scaffolded their their prayer in scripture. I'd love to but I won't. I want to look at what they asked so that we as God's people and as a gospel church can have front, gospel front, more gospel front than Myers And of course we need to be wise and we need to be winsome and we need to adorn the gospel but we need to have it. Now how do we do that? Well, let's have a look at what they ask. So good for preachers when you come to a prayer like this. They ask for three things. So bingo, there's the structure. But let's have a look at this. The first thing they ask is, Dear God, please take notice. Now we read in verse 29... Now, Lord, consider their threats. In other words, dear God, take note. If you're a reader, you may know every now and then you come across something and the two capital letters, NB, from the Latin for noto bene, note well. It's like an asterisk. The author says, don't miss this, it's important. It's like in a recipe when they say, make sure you do this. Now, why do they have to tell God to take note? Did they think he was out of the office? Maybe asleep at the wheel? Not really. They did this because this is what God's people do when they're under the pump. They did this because here prayer and the comfort and the blessing and privilege of prayer comes into its own. We don't take matters into our own hand. 
as the people who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We hand them over to him who will do what is right and best. That's what's going on here. We have a beautiful example of it in the Old Testament. King Hezekiah in the book of Kings, he was threatened by the ruler Sennacherib. Terrible things were being said. The whole nation was quaking in fear and so was he. And what does he do? He goes into the temple. He takes the letter he had received and he lays it out before the Lord. It's a beautiful picture of the very same thing going on here but already way back then in the Old Testament. Let me read you what he says. He says, O Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God, you have made heaven and earth and now give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words that Sennacherib has sent to insult you, the living God. Can you see what's going? He's asking God to sit up and have a real look at what's at stake here. The kingdom might fall. God's plans might come to nothing. And he's saying, dear God, please act. He's handing it over as we must rather than trying to deal it himself. And that's the comfort here in this prayer. I'll ask our young man Simon at the back to just flick up on the screen for me our first slide. These verses from the book of Romans which you may know. There's wonderful comfort here. Let me just read from Romans 12:19 for the benefit of those who are listening to this on the CD. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Dear friends, when th- evil threatens to overcome you, your witness your church, never forget there will be a payback. The church is the bride of Jesus and you men who are married, what would you do if someone laid a hand on your wife in a most inappropriate way? Would you walk away? Turn the other way? Or would you rise up and do something, anything you could? Well, here we are. This is the bride that Christ has bought and we are sitting here together by the grace of God. We are the ones who were purchased at the cost of Jesus' own blood and body. And anyone who dares to shut that down, anyone who dares to do, to touch them, to hurt them, to stop them, they will have him to face. And when he's finished with them, it will not be pretty. There will be payback. It may not be in this life, but it will be when Jesus comes back. And that's the comfort. If you touch the church, Jesus will touch you. And you will come off second best. And that's a fearful thought. 
And I ask you, just imagine if we didn't have this sort of comfort. Imagine if someone threatened you and stopped you. Imagine if someone tried to shut this church down. What would you do if you couldn't cast it into Jesus' lap, if you couldn't lay it on his shoulders, if you couldn't bring this before him in prayer? That would be intolerable. And here is the gracious provision that God makes for us when we're being sidelined and here we are. And the question is, do we do this? When your faith is, when your faith is challenged, when your church is threatened, what's the first thing you will do? Can I urge you not only to pray but to look through this window of this very important prayer and to take a leaf from the Apostles' book and to ask God to take note. But they do more, don't they? They don't just ask God to do that. They actually ask God to make them bold. Dear friends, don't you find this striking? Isn't it striking that they didn't ask God to remove the threat. They didn't even ask God to keep them safe. And we must understand that they were in danger. The Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council who issued these threats, had power. And there would be men in the church with young families. Maybe they had elderly, fa- uh, elderly parents to support. They would be very concerned for their future. And so would everyone in that church if they didn't toe the line. But they don't pray for their own safety and they do pray for boldness. Come with me to verse 29, to the second part of verse 29. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They wanted gospel guts. They wanted more front than Myers for the gospel. And God answered that prayer. When we come to the end of this passage, we see that he takes that building they were sitting in and he shakes the whole building. Try to imagine that. That you would be falling off your chairs and the cups would be rattling out of the cupboards and the tables out the back there with all the cakes and things on would be falling over. God wanted them to know he had heard their prayer. And he wanted them to experience some of the power that he had. Power that he would give them for bold witness. And come with me to the very end of this passage, verse 31b, and see what happened. Not only was the building shaken, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Please note that. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Once again, because they'd already been filled before, And they spoke the word of God boldly. It wasn't just the apostles, although it certainly was them. It was the mums and dads. It was the boys and girls, I guess. It was the old folks, the grannies and all the rest of them. They all spoke the word of God boldly. And we see this tracking through in the book of Acts as we go on. And it's an incredible scene. And I don't know about you, but 
This is one of those passages you read and work on to study for a study and and prepare a sermon for and you have to stop and Fred would know this feeling. You have to stop and you just have to think about that and you have to look at yourself and you push yourself away from the desk because I find this so incredibly, incredibly challenging. Standing behind a pulpit and delivering to a church is one thing but having this holy boldness to go out onto the street, to turn every conversation, etc., etc., that is a very different matter. And yet that's the reality that's being spoken about here. And I look at my own heart and I ask myself the question, how to be like that? How to have all of us like that? How does that happen May I suggest two questions? Simon, again, if I may, our next slide. A question. Have you grasped the vision? Fred's mentioned that Carl's preached on Colossians 1, that incredible picture of the cosmic Christ who rules the universe, who is over everything, who is reconciling all things to himself who is building his body, the church, and at the very centre of his plan, as he lays his plan to set everything up for his return into this world, is the church. And it's a glorious, glorious picture, this cosmic picture of Christ. And can I encourage us when we think of church to think big, I'm not suggesting you don't. I'm just encouraging you to do, to think beyond the walls of this building, to think bigger than branch, to think bigger than Australia, to think of world and Jesus at work in the world, that there is this incredible cosmic plan that he has and it began before you were born. It will finish after you have died unless he comes first. And it's saying to you, your life is much, much bigger than a good job or even a great marriage or success in your studies or a wonderful career or a lovely home and a nice garden. Oh, they're all nice things. I'm not talking them down. I'm just saying that is puny compared to what Jesus is doing in and through the gospel. That is nothing compared to what Jesus is doing in and through his church and you are part of that church. Just think, the cosmic Christ is reclaiming lost humanity and he has done that in so many of your lives. He has touched your hearts by the power of his spirit and taken you out of the darkness and into the light of his grace and nothing has ever been the same since. He is reclaiming lost humanity. He is bringing them into his kingdom. He is shaping them into his likeness and he wants you, every one of you, to be a living part of that. That is the vision and that is grand and that is glorious and my question simply is, have you grasped the vision of what Jesus the Christ is doing and what he is doing and can do in you and through you and through this church and keep this before you because this will help you to be bold. But there's another question 
another question. Thanks, Simon. Have you become accustomed to grace? After this sermon, we're going to sing that beautiful hymn, Amazing Grace. Does the grace of God still amaze you? Do you know the depth and the height and the length and the breadth of the love of Christ for sinners? Have you experienced that reality in your own life? And does that love burn brightly, more brightly, than what it used to in time gone by? Or have we lost the fire? Friends, we know how it is in marriage, don't we? We start off and it's fun and it's warm and it's passionate and we love to talk about anything and we're all over each other and then the spark goes out of it and it just slowly goes downhill and marriage is mediocre Faith can do that. Grace can be like that. And I have no doubt that grace is preached from this pulpit again and again and again. But my question is to you. Have you become accustomed to grace? The grace that saved us. We need to ponder these things. We need to ask them of our heart. And each of us, I would say, must come back to the cross to see again, perhaps for some of you this morning, for the first time, the love of God for sinful humanity. You who are fathers, you who are parents, Ask yourself this question. Who of you would give your one and only son for a bunch of losers? That's what God did for you and for me. Jesus left the glory of heaven, was conceived in the womb of a virgin, and nailed to a Roman cross, not for people who deserved it, but for those who didn't. And that is the glory of the Gospel. Have you become accustomed to grace? I pray you never are, and that I never am. I just know that my heart's inclined to it. And so I encourage us together to see it again for all its, in all its glory and it's all in all its beauty. I ask this question to encourage us and that you might encourage one another with these truths. The big picture 
the cosmic Christ reconciling to himself all things and at the heart of that plan, at the very centre of that plan is the church and he wants you to be a living part of that. Encourage one another with the amazing grace of God. Do that today. Do it over coffee. Let the wonder of the grace of our Saviour excite you and fill your heart and give you boldness that will help you step outside your fear and mine to where God wants us to be. You see, that's what this church asked. They asked specifically that in the face of this very terrible threat, God would give them boldness. Let's do that too. There's something more here, this last thing. They ask God to take note. They ask God to make them bold. And they ask God in verse 30 to stretch out your hand. Congregation, the language is Old Testament. It's rooted in the book of Exodus and you can almost see it. I won't take you back into that book right now, but you can see it there. God stretching out his hand to strike the Egyptians and to save his people. Oh, it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? And they take up this picture and they ask God to do it again. God, you did it before, do it again. But this time, with healings and signs and wonders. Should we pray that? Should we pray that God will do healings and signs and wonders here and after Carl has preached or Fred has preached next week? Well, it's a big question, isn't it? You see, it was happening in Jerusalem at that time. Come with me, if you would, just over the page, or at least in my Bible, to chapter 5, verse 15. You see in verse 12, the apostles performing many signs and wonders. And in verse 15, chapter 5, verse 15, people brought the sick into the streets so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them. Imagine that congregation. Carl walking through LGH and everyone getting up out of bed fixed. Is that what we ought to preach? Is that what we ought to expect? No. God may choose to do that and it would be incredible if he did. You can imagine the effect it had on the community at that point. But this was a particular time in the life of the church, what the New Testament calls the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And these signs and wonders and healings were actually like a stamp of approval, a seal of authority which told people in that day, these men and this truth is the real deal. This is the continuation of the ministry of Jesus and you can know that the message they preach and teach, that's the truth. Listen to it. Look at what's happening. It's clearly something out of the box. 
That was then, but this is now. So if we don't pray for this congregation, although we may, we may humbly expect that God could do incredible things and in his sovereign wisdom he may choose to. But if we don't pray this, what do we pray if we follow this prayer that has been given for us as a window to help us see glorious and important things? Well, I think we should firstly remember that God has not changed. Has God's power, is God's power any less than what it, what it was at that time? Is God like the battery in my laptop? I can tell it's getting weaker and weaker as the months go by. Well, that's not how God works, is it? His power is no less. I would like to suggest that we still pray for God to stretch out his hand and ask him to do his gospel work both outside the church and inside. Let me explain what I mean. That we would boldly ask God for amazing things to happen. That we would pray for rich fruit on the preaching of the gospel. And I know that you do that that we would be praying for marriages to be healed, dysfunctional families to be made whole, that we would be praying for young people and others who just don't get it to actually receive the message and to have their lives turned upside down for the whole world to see. And that not only would we pray this within the church, but we would be praying outside the church that God would stretch out his hand and send times of revival into our community that would make everyone sit up and notice. Just imagine. Imagine that you went to work and no one swore or blasphemed or told smutty jokes because the Holy Spirit had taken those blokes and those women and had turned them inside out. Just imagine that every gay couple in Launceston and every couple living together were cut to the heart under the conviction of God's Spirit and cried out for forgiveness because they understood this was wrong and sought forgiveness and the power to change. Just imagine that Tote went out of business, that the casino no longer operated because no one went there anymore. Just imagine that every Sunday Aurora Stadium was full, not for footy but for church because there weren't enough church buildings in Launceston and we needed something way bigger. Ought we not to pray for that? Ought we not ask God in his mercy and for the sake of his glory and the advance of the gospel to do these things, to stretch out his hand and blow our minds away? He's done it before. He can do it again. Oh, that he would. Oh, that he would cause people to sit up and take notice that this message that is being preached and this Jesus that is being spoken about, this is the real deal. Oh dear friends, I encourage you in this.
that you and I would pray boldly, specifically, that God would stretch out his hand once again. And what happened, congregation? Well, we know, don't we? The building was shaken. They were filled with the Spirit. And they all, from the littlies to the old grannies, they all spoke the word of God boldly. And you know who was up front leading the charge? Peter. Peter, who knew that when push came to shove, he failed his Lord terribly. Peter, who had more front than Myers, but at a critical moment denied his Lord three times and was weak and wimpish and the very opposite of bold. He was the leader of this church. He knew what it was to be fearful and timid and God forgave him and changed him and made him bold. Do you pray for boldness? Please do. Our situation is not the same as that of the early church. Let's be honest about this. But the forces against us are no less real and no less powerful. We have a window here on what the early church was led by the Lord to pray. Let us learn from this. In our weakness, let us look through the window of this prayer. Let us pray for courage to be bold, that it may be said of all of us, they've got gospel guts. They've got front, gospel front, more front than Myers. And this, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, great God of grace, we come to you to ask firstly not for ourselves but for you. To you be glory given now and forevermore. We pray for persecuted brothers and sisters across the globe the millions upon millions of Christians who do not enjoy the freedom we do. And we ask, O oh God, keep them strong, firm and steadfast in the Lord Jesus Christ, not moved away from the grace of the Gospel. We pray for ourselves that our eyes may be opened to the threats that face us, that we see how we are sidelined and increasingly so. And we humbly ask that you would teach us how to pray against that. 
that you would rekindle a love in us that we first had for Jesus and if we have none that you would cause that fire to burn in our hearts. And we pray, Holy Spirit, come in power. Preach the gospel to our hearts today. Visit us, your people, with your spirit. Pour out your spirit again and fill us that we might give ourselves to this task. Make us bold, with a boldness that will adorn the gospel, build the church and bring glory to God. Visit this nation, we pray, in times of revival and transformation. And do, Lord, again what you do so wonderfully well. Stretch out your hand. And, Father, hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.